We have two short readings today. The first reading is from the first letter of John, chapter 1, verses 5 through to 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. The second reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through to 9. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Hear the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Hopefully my mic's on, Mike mic's on, great. Great to be with you today. Uh, welcome to those who are new among us. Great to have you here as well. Um, since July, we've been looking at the Gospel of John and we've, it's kind of the overarching series and we've used it for uh, other series as well, like Are We Evangelical? We use the Gospel of John. Now we're in Advent, we're still in the Gospel of John, except we're right back at the beginning, and we're going to stay at the beginning of John's Gospel throughout Advent in what's called the prologue. It's like the first, I think, 18 verses of um, John's Gospel. Um, why use this passage for Advent? Actually, I should say, I had been a Christian a long time before I knew about Advent, let alone knew what it meant. I didn't have someone like Fiona Dowling explaining to me what Advent meant, and uh, I wasn't part of a church tradition that celebrated it. So as we've heard, Advent is the kind of designated season uh, in the church calendar where Christians of many traditions contemplate the coming of Christ into the world, uh, the birth of Jesus. Uh, we're reminded not simply that, um, you know, there was a, boy, a baby uh, called Jesus born, but that his coming was foretold, expected, and longed for. And of course, Advent is also a reminder that Christ is coming back again. The beginning of John's Gospel 
is not really found in many Advent readings. I looked up during the week and just couldn't find any. So why choose this passage? Well, that word that um, Fiona said, coming, is found in this passage. Um, So over the uh, Advent series, we'll be looking at Advent of light, the coming of light into the world, Advent of the Creator, the Creator stepping into his own creation, and Advent of God-man, of the God-man. Jesus Christ, fully human and fully God, came into this world. All of these are indicated in our first chapter of the Gospel. Today we're looking at Advent of Light. John writes, verse 9, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. Our passage begins with the well-known words for anyone who's familiar with the, the scriptures. In the beginning. Now, where are those words from? We all know they're right from the very beginning, first chapter of the Bible, Genesis. In the beginning. And there's a, lot, there's a few similarities between the start of John's gospel and Genesis. There's some themes that come up in both. Light darkness, life, God being there. And John is making the point that the one that is coming into the world has been here from the beginning. In Genesis, when God creates the first man, it says, the Lord God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Life has an original source. Everything goes back to something. It goes back to God, the author of life. In John's Gospel, John puts it this way, in him was life. Who's in him? The one that's coming into the world. In him was life, and the life was the light of all people. I was speaking on this passage just a couple of weeks back at Freedom Age Care, local aged care facilities, and I was asking uh, my mini congregation what they thought this meant. What does it mean? Life was the light of all people. And we talked about this for a little while. Talked about how life and, and light are metaphors. John uses light and darkness throughout his gospel. Light is a metaphor for understanding, for clarity, life, truth, for everything that is good, as opposed to darkness, which is a metaphor for spiritual ignorance, for being out of relationship with God, estranged from the love of God. It's also a metaphor for evil, for what is bad. And John characterizes all of humanity in such a darkness and therefore in need of light. The sad thing is, as John will detail later on, is humanity so often chooses the darkness. In John chapter 3, it says these words, and this is the judgment. It's kind of an overarching picture of reality. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and humans 
um, the world, sorry, people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come into the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. There's a fear of the light, a fear of exposure, a fear of condemnation. Once again, this kind of harkens back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had eaten the forbidden fruit, what did they do? They realized they were naked. They tried to sew flimsy garments for themselves out of fig leaves, and they hid. And it's a picture of all humanity hiding from God ever since. Have you ever done something that you feel deeply ashamed about and you dare not tell anyone about it? You keep it secret. Why would you do that? Isn't the fear out of rejection? That if you mention the unmentionable, you'll go down in the moral assessment someone has of you? Or worse still, is there something in your life that you would never even admit to to yourself that it was wrong? You live in a self-justified state because you wouldn't be able to live with yourself. That's what it's like to be in darkness. The advent of light, the coming of Christ, is in direct response to a spiritual darkness every human being is in. We fear condemnation, but Christ has not come to condemn. That's the good news. Light has come into the world. In other words, there is another life, an additional vitality to our physical life which is and can only be experienced in following Jesus. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, this is what's on offer through him. And I, as I was preparing this, I'm like, I don't want to remain abstract when I'm talking about this. What are some examples that I can give? Church history is full of examples of people that have come to Christ and experienced light and life coming into their lives. You can pick any moment in church history and read about people's conversions and read how transformative it was. So I was scratching my head about thinking who, and I, I turned to one book. I've got a book of a, a man who... Um, he's an Australian, but he really sought after Eastern religion, sought to know reality, ultimate reality, through Eastern mysticism, uh, Hindu gurus, probably a bit of Buddhism, and then ultimately New Age. But he finally came to Christ. And when you read his book, he's so articulate in the way he describes his transformation in coming to the knowledge of God's grace in Jesus Christ. He'll basically say something along the lines of everything that I sought for so long, for so many years, with all my spiritual meditations, was given to me freely by the grace of God. Of course, he's far more articulate than that. It's amazing. 
But then, at the other end of the scale, you come across people who may not be so kind of intellectual or highbrow, but they still experience the love of God and the light of Christ coming into their lives, and they will grab for any metaphor to explain it. Now, I've told this story before, but when I was a curate in South Melbourne, uh, which was a, a low socioeconomic area, being gentrified now, of course, but still has this polarity. There was a truckie, uh, a retired truckie in our congregation. Um, he had given his life to Christ much later in his life. And occasionally he would get up during notices, spur of the moment testimony, and he'd bring a bag of uh, Brazil nuts, Brazil nuts with him, and he'd say, see these nuts? They're really hard. I was a hard nut. Jesus has come into my life, and then he would hold up marshmallows, and he goes, and now I'm like a marshmallow, what Jesus has done in me. It was great. He would use what, what language he could to describe transformation. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It is for everyone. Jesus said, believe in the light so that you may become children of the light. Well, we know Christ is the light. Children of the light? It's another way of saying God's children. Back in John chapter 1, it says these great words, but to all who received him, Jesus Christ, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. And finally, Jesus says, I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. Children of darkness to become children of light. As I was just about to speak on this passage um, at Freedom Age Care a couple of weeks ago, I thought, I read out a psalm to begin with. It came to my mind, I should read Psalm 27. Nothing too spiritual or anything about it, but it's just that I know that the start of that um, psalm talks about the Lord being uh, David's light. David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And I spoke about David's confidence. Isn't it amazing? To know the Lord as your light. That's what it's like to know the Lord as your light is to have great confidence, to not fear. Such confidence rises from two things that David believed about God. Firstly, the nature of God. And secondly, the character of God. What's the nature of God? Well, the nature of God is that God is all-powerful. So if you've got someone all-powerful looking after you, no need to fear. But secondly, the character of God. God's character is all-loving. This is a God upon whom you can rely always. Another psalm, Psalm 62, says, One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, that power belongs to you, O God, and with you is unfailing love. As I read through this psalm, I came to verse 10. That's where we finished. And David ponders the latter. He ponders the love of God, though he doesn't mention it. 
He writes this. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Now, what parents would forsake their child? It's, it's so unlikely, and that's, that's what it's supposed to convey. And yet we know it does happen. David is saying, even if that happened to me, I know God would receive me. Now, even a good parent uh, can turn their back on a wayward and selfish adult child. You can check with my parents. (laughs) But what about God? No, not according to David. God's not going to give up. God will always receive. Even when forsaken by my parents, the Lord will receive me. That's David's belief. Where does such a belief, such a confidence come from? It's a good question. David, of course, knew his Bible, at least that part which had been written up until that point. And scripture itself, we are told, acts as a light. Uh, King James is, I think, the best uh, way most of us know this passage from Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word is a lamp for us. It's a light for us. But scripture also displays that God punishes. Think paradise lost. Adam and Eve were driven out, we're told, in Genesis 3. Because they ate the forbidden fruit. God drove them out. David knew this. And David knew himself to be a sinner. Psalm 51, against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So question, how can someone have such confidence that God will receive him when they know the scriptures, when they know that God punishes sin? How can they have this confidence that they too won't be driven away? That even if their father and mother forsake them, the Lord will take them up. Where does that confidence come from? David's faith is grounded on the character of God revealed in the covenants. In the fact that God has chosen a people, wedded himself to a people. Now, one analogy could be like this. Imagine you were in a relationship with someone uh, romantic relationship, you don't live with them, you're not married or anything, but you, you do something that really threatens the relationship. And uh, how confident are you that this person will remain committed to you? Compared to a marriage, imagine you're, you're married to someone, you've been married for many years, you, but you have stuffed up big time. How confident are you that you'll remain in the marriage? I think there would be more confidence in the marriage because it's a covenant relationship. Oaths have been declared, promises made, there's history there. Now, of course, we know marriages will break up, but it's a covenant relationship that that is usually much stronger than just the other. God is in a covenant relationship with his people and he remains faithful to them. Where people may fail, 
God doesn't. This is David's hope, but it's not just what underpins David's faith, his confidence, it's also a national hope. Um, in Psalm 130, there's a, a bunch of psalms laid in the, in the Psalter that are um, called Psalms of Ascent. And they're called that because uh, pilgrims, when they used to go to Jerusalem for a number of religious festivals, they'd go up the mount to uh, the temple. And they would sing or recite these psalms. And this psalm is a real encouragement uh, to one another. And it, and it has these words in verses 7 and 8. The psalmist encourages one another, saying, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. It's an amazing hope. It's grounded on, in, in the covenant, believing God is faithful to his people. But think of those words, he himself will. It's a future expectation. Now remember, they're going up to the temple where sacrifices will be made, probably on behalf of sins and things like that. But I think what they suggest here looks beyond any sacrifice that can be made by them. It's faith in God. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. What about us? How can we have such confidence? How can we assume the love of God? Will God receive us or drive us away like Adam and Eve? Jesus is the answer. Sorry for the cliche. But Jesus is the answer held out in the Bible to us, held out in John's gospel. But let me first point you to that, that first reading we had coming from 1 John, where John says, this is the message we have heard from him, Jesus Christ, and proclaim to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Now, recall the, the, the metaphors that we spoke about, light and darkness. God is light. Everything that is good, wonderful, praiseworthy, true, we see God's character in Jesus Christ and it's true for us. Christ is the light of the world. There's no evil, no falsehood, no deception in God. This is the message from Christ. All who are in darkness, Christ brings to light the love of God for us. Now, the grand picture of the Bible is that we have all been driven out of the garden with Adam and Eve. We are all in darkness, but in Christ, we are reconciled to God. Jesus Christ states, anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. And of course, when Christ speaks, he's speaking on behalf of God. But notice that word, drive away, it's the same word used in Genesis 3. Uh, you, you may already know this, but um, the Old Testament had already been translated into Greek by the time of Jesus. And... Uh, and of course, the New Testament's in Greek, and it's exactly the same word that is used. 
where God drives them out, where Jesus now says, anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. He is a light for us. I quoted before Psalm 130, the psalmist expresses a hope that the Lord will himself redeem Israel from all their sins. Back in the first chapter of John, verse 29, if you've got it there, look it up. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him and declares this. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The hope that the Israelites had that the Lord himself would redeem his people from their sins has been realized in Jesus Christ. But note that it's not just for Israel. It is for the world, all of us. So won't you trust in him? Won't you worship him afresh? Won't you hope in him and surrender to him? I want to pray a a prayer asking God to bring you and myself into his light. For God to shine his light in our hearts. Giving us a deeper understanding and knowledge of him through Jesus Christ. Paul says these remarkable words in 2 Corinthians. For God who said let light shine out of darkness. Made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray a prayer. Feel free to whisper along, pray it in your heart or mind, just offering and asking for uh, the light of God. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus Christ, your son, as the light of the world. Please shine your light in my heart that I might see your glory in Jesus Christ. Amen.